roll with the punches. Hi, everybody. Your old friend Mike Houlihan. Welcome back to Hibernian Radio. Having a blast here in Forest Park. Hey, you're listening to the Hibernian Radio Show. We're brought to you by Madden Funds, Local 150, Sheehy Funeral Home, Rather Eight People Go, Fox's Pizza, Flood Brothers, Guinness, Big Corner Tavern, Big Corner Tavern in Riverside, where we're headed March 1st for our new home. And Guinness is good for you. Well, we got a great show. Things are so intense lately, but I'm looking forward to March 1st when we head over to the BCT Big Corner Tavern over at Sir Mac and First Avenue in North Riverside. I was in there scoping it out last night. It's a great spot. You will love it. They got a parking lot. They got gambling machines. Aha! Maybe you can win some money. You'll have a blast. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. And uh, big shout out to uh, Julie Shea, who was our host there. But uh, what a week, I got to tell you. We're going to go to the vault again tonight. We're going to listen to mayoral candidate Paul Vallis, who is just coming on strong. And we did two shows with Paul. We'll play this one, and maybe next week we'll play the other one. This is from July of 2021. Uh, Paul is just gaining momentum every single day, getting all kinds of endorsements and everything. Uh, and I sure hope he gets in there because if you read my John Cass guest column today, or actually it was the 8th, but you can find it online, johncastnews.com. And I say, first of all, I reiterated our great night at the Emerald Society Chili Cook-Off, but uh, Paul Vallis was there. He's a big supporter of the police. His son is a police officer. His wife was a police officer. And his son, other son is a fireman. This is the guy who, if anything's going to be able to save Chicago, it's Paul Vallis, in my humble opinion. So anyway, this is from July 2021. Uh, we were out in the back uh, garden at the Cork and Carry with Paul Vallis. Had a great talk. The guy's a brainiac. So let's give a listen to our old friend and hopefully the next mayor of the city of Chicago, Paul Vallis on Hibernian Radio. Now we got a great guest tonight, an old friend of ours. Uh, uh, also, we've got Skinny in the house and uh, Bob Crocker's in the house. And uh, it's just a beautiful night here uh, out on the veranda at the Cork and Carry. And we want to welcome Paul Vallis to the show. Let me just give you a quick rundown. Paul is one of America's leading crisis managers. Oh. Uh, he's got an incredible history. Uh, you may remember Mayor Daley recruited him in 1990 to reform the scandal-ridden Department of Revenue, where he revamped the city's tax and fee system. Later, as budget director, Mr. Vallis ended the city's recurring budget crisis while financing the largest infrastructure investment program since the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, <laughs> including resurfacing 38,000 miles of city roads. Anyway, it just goes on and on. Stuff. He's the guy you bring in. He's the guy you bring in when you got a problem. A budget uh, expert, and, and he's done it at, uh, in Haiti, in Philadelphia, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, Hurricane Katrina, all over the place. So let's welcome Paul Vallis to the show. Thank you, Paul, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, one of the things we want to talk about, and... and since the mayoral election, you've been, I, I don't know what you've been doing, but you, the FOP has asked you to get involved with the negotiations with the police right. contract with the city. And it's been four years four since years. they've had a contract, and we've had uh, 
John Kentanzara on the show several times. So what happened? Something just happened. Well, you know, it's actually been four and a half years. And okay. John, back in October, asked me to join his negotiating team. Right. Uh, he wanted to bring somebody in who, first of all, understood the finances and, at the end of the day, uh, who people could trust for the numbers. Uh, and also somebody who the city negotiators were familiar with, Jim Francic, who was the lead negotiator, uh, negotiator for the city, yeah. was, uh, when I was city budget director and later, and later school chief, Jim was my guy who helped me oh. negotiate a contract. So you had a relationship. That's right, with yeah. police, fire, yeah. the Chicago Teachers Union, two contracts in succession, no strikes or you know, delays or anything. So, uh, so John brought me in back in October, and obviously I've been immersed in the negotiations ever since. The bottom line is this. Uh, first of all, the FOP has been negotiating literally nonstop. Yeah. And uh, literally, at least since my arrival in October, and probably before that, and, and not only in having regular sessions, but the side conversations we've been having. For example, I, you know, because the mayor's office put out some stuff saying, over the past couple months saying, oh, the FOP is not interested in negotiating. They're, they're not serious. Well, let me tell you, we've been, I have 100 email exchanges between the city uh, on the contract, not to mention twice that many phone calls. So the point is, we've been immersed, working both having our strategic bargaining sessions and then having side conversations to get this contract done. And, you know, I got to tell you, now, it, it, it's, to the general public, it looks like a, a personality conflict between Lori Lightfoot and John Kentanzaro, but it's not that. You, that's why he brought you in. Uh, well, well you know. he brought me in to help him, you yeah. know, to help him. And, and John, to his credit, felt that, uh, that he needed to establish uh, other channels of communication right. to move this contract along. But the point, that I wanted, uh, the point that I wanted to make, and incidentally, when they brought me in, I refused to take any compensation because I didn't want anybody questioning my sure. motivations. Yeah. And What's I in it for him, that kind of stuff. Right, and I felt that I needed to, to be totally objective with everybody mm -hmm. about this process. But I'll tell you, uh, the FOP has been absolutely committed to getting this contract done and to getting a reasonable contract, not only that did their members justice, but also a contract that the city could afford. And for all practical purposes, last Thursday, we thought that was it. We yeah. had reached a, 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 an agreement with the city's negotiating team that incidentally included representatives from the police department. Uh, it also, they were constantly interacting with the budget, uh, with the CFO, the city's CFO. So we, we were very confident that we had negotiated an agreement that, uh, that, the, that the mayor would approve and that the city council would ratify. And that may still happen, but, uh, but we feel that we have an agreement for an eight-year contract Great. that, that yeah. not only addresses the financial uh, uh, the, the need to compensate the police officers for the four and a half years that they did not have a contract yeah. and to give them their retro checks, but also... Retroactive. The retroactive, but also not, not to wait another four years. I mean, what were we going to yeah. do? One contract's done and we're already delayed getting a new contract for it, so we wanted to negotiate an eight-year contract. John wanted to negotiate an eight-year contract that could address the, 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 the retro pay but provide them with a, a three-and-a-half-year contract going forward. So mm -hmm. it's an eight-year contract, and it's very fair. It's very affordable. Overall, the police department will get, police officers will get about a 20% increase in pay over that period of time. Wow. When, you, when you compound that, because it's a compounded increase, it's actually coming closer to 22%. And, 
and that's in line with what other unions have gotten, uh, you know, closely in line with, uh, with what other unions have gotten. Also, he negotiated uh, an agreement with the city that basically said, uh, we're only going to get hit with half the health care increase that the sergeants and the firefighters got, the other city employees got, because the FOP has laid out a plan to, to embark upon an a aggressive health and wellness campaign that they're convinced will save the city more money. So the deal is we only get hit with half the health care increase. It's 0.75%. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's three quarters of a percent. In, uh, 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 against yeah. your pay, which isn't yeah. which isn't draconian, and uh, and uh, and and then uh, uh, we'll have two years to demonstrate that the wellness program can be effective, and if it is, they will defer the second half of the increase. Uh -huh. So they get the pay raise, they they get a very very modest adjustment in their health care contribution, but there's other things he was able to insert into the contract. So for example, the most important thing is. He not only increased the uh, pay uh, for duty availability, uh, uh, to, uh, but, but he, he removed the provision that basically says you can't get your duty availability until you're like on the force for like f 42 weeks. What's duty availability? Duty availability is basically you get paid for being on call. Okay. <laughs> you know? oh. I mean, how do you think they, you know, they pull these cops and they put them on... 12-hour days, yeah, yeah. you know, no vacations and right. things like that. Yeah. But in the past, if you got off probation, you know, once you're hired, you have a, like yeah. a probationary period, yeah. you then had to, you, you literally had to wait f like 42 months before you were able to get duty availability. Well, he got rid of that. Wow. So now once you, once you re uh, conclude your probationary period, you automatically get duty availability, and it's retroactive. Oh. So if you didn't get it in the past, you're going to get duty availability now. Yeah. So those are just some of the provisions in the contract. So it's a really, really solid contract. Now, on the flip side, he did uh, the, uh, the contract proposal does, uh, does allow the mayor to have those kind of core accountability provisions that they negotiated in the sergeant's contract, mm. you know, with some clarifications. Uh, you know, so at the end of the day, uh, he, he fully realized that, obviously, to get this contract passed, you know, you need to have certain core accountability provisions consistent with what was negotiated in, in the sergeant's contract. And uh, so, but... but did they finalize their contract? It, it's, a, oh, they've been finalized for maybe less than, um, maybe about a year. Okay. Yeah, so they finalized their contract first. Yeah. And uh, now there's a lot of other issues that need to be addressed. But we did not want to get bogged down in other issues and give the city further reason to delay providing the, the police officers with compensation. So the idea was, look, we're going to separate this contract. We're going to negotiate a contract that deals with financial issues and a contract that, you know, obviously gives, uh, you know, the mayor those uh, that the accountability provisions consistent with what was already negotiated and approved in the sergeant's contract oh, yeah. with clarifications, by the way. Uh, and, then, and then these other issues we can either negotiate or eventually arbitrate later on so that we would not hold up the contract because we could not resolve many of these. Because we have a host of issues that we uh, that uh, that we want the city to address, and the city is coming back. Like you know, the city wanted to include uh, secondary employment in the contract negotiation. No, we'll we'll throw that into the next negotiation and let that be 
let that that may eventually have to be arbitrated. So the idea was to just focus on the core financial provisions. Get the money. Get the money. Get the retro checks. And for for police officers, they will get it's a compounded ten and a half percent retro check. And, you know, it could range from, I mean, that's a considerable amount of money. In addition, they would then get an immediate bump in pay of 10.5%. And then over the next three and a half years, they'll get another 9.5% pay increase. When you compound it, it actually comes to 22%. Yeah. So it's it's an affordable contract. The city can afford it. And so there's no excuse to ratify, not to ratify it. I hope the mayor uh, does not snatch... Defeat. Defeat from the jaws of victory here. Because this is a fair contract. The FOP has been very responsible in negotiating a contract that's going to fairly compensate their members without busting the city's budget. It's it's a very responsible approach to take. And and I'll tell you, I I've I've been delighted in I I mean it's been I've been extremely comfortable negotiating with them and on their behalf and and uh and also you know who you're negotiating absolutely yeah and and you know the city's team to their credit i mean they've been very professional that Uh you know it's been a it's been a tough negotiation and i think the mayor would be foolish not to uh embrace the agreement that we struck with them because it's a very solid agreement for the city let me tell you what's going to happen if they don't approve this contract we're going to we're going to go right to arbitration. Yeah. John's not going to negotiate anymore. I mean, he made, he compromised. He, you know, he, he offered them something that was reasonable. He could have easily, easily dug in even harder. Uh, and, and he negotiated a fair and affordable contract. Uh, and, and, uh, and extending it to eight years and getting the duty availability uh, expanded to include all officers uh, that are not on probation and doing that retroactive. And then, of course, reducing the health care contribution uh, that the sergeants and the firefighters are going to have to pay. I mean, those were all positive, positive things. You know, also, th- there are provisions that provide, you know, a, a certain a level of due process for officers on the accountability side. The ability to arbitrate decisions that are made to investigate officers and things like that. There's protections in there, too. There's a lot of other as issues. As there should be. As there should be. There's a lot of, I mean, we need to give police officers the same due process we give criminals. Yeah, yeah. So clearly, there's a lot of other stuff to do in those areas, but, those, but eventually we're going to end up in arbitration. But we did not want the city to hold uh, police officers hostage and continue to deny them their, their pay increases going forward as well as their retro pay going backwards. So the decision to split the, the contract in two and to focus on the financial side first and then to deal with these other issues I think was a very smart uh, 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 approach uh, that, that John made in concert with the city because the city's negotiating team embraced that approach too. And, and they were very professional to deal with. That's why I'm confident that the mayor is going to accept the recommendation. Did she make a statement today or anything? Or no, she, no, uh, no. Uh, I know they made the earlier statement that they were surprised that they were news to them. It wasn't news to them. We were, yeah. They were constantly recessing so that they could go out and they could call people at City Hall, the budget director, whatever, yeah. as we were negotiating the, the various details of the contract. And so, you know, they shouldn't be. It, it, you know, figure out a way. Everybody wants to spin it. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, John was obligated to go out to his members and to say, Look, we, we have a deal while saying that there's still a process that City Hall needs to follow. 
And if you remember, Friday when he announced that after I saw the, it. yeah, it was on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't offer any details other than right. it was an eight-year contract. Now right. today at uh, at uh, uh, Police Family Day at at Great America, he announced the details. I asked him if he did it from the Superman ride, you know, but he said no. <laughs> no, he was on the ground, firmly on the ground. <laughs> although he claimed he was going to do it from the Superman ride <laughs> without any harness or anything yeah. like that. So knowing Johnny, would probably would have done it. But, but today he laid out the details. It, it, it's, a, it's a really good, responsible contract. And, and, and you know, don't let anybody think out there that, that the FOP has not been serious about these negotiations from day one. I know. <laughs> you can look at my log sheet, yeah. you know what I mean, just in terms of the con conversations I've had on John's behalf and sometimes the city reaching out to me to communicate things through John. He wanted to set up this secondary channel so that we could constantly be. So when we, had our, yeah. so when we, when he, we had our strategic sessions, we could be, the strategic sessions would be decision-making sessions, not negotiating sessions. Yeah. You know, here, this is where we're at. Can, what can we agree to? And it was a smart splitting the contract and taking that approach to kind of have ongoing discussions and negotiations between uh, between the bargaining sessions was a very it was a smart approach for him to take and it was a smart approach for the city to embrace so you know I don't want to shortchange their negotiating team they're really professional and very sincere and very committed to getting something done that's good to hear I gotta tell you though I have never seen a culture so anti-police you know I grew up in this city uh, since I was a kid I mean it's just terrible defund the police and and constantly accusing the police of doing wrong and everything. It's just awful the way they're treated. And then, and then putting them on 12-hour shifts, no days off, in the midst of all this crises in the ghetto and everything, it's nuts. Well, look, uh, clearly, uh, you know, I, I have in my post been very critical of the police reorganization and the way the police resources are being managed and deployed. Uh, uh, you know, I've been very, I've been very critical uh, because clearly, there's, there's, uh, uh, there's, you know, I, I've said the strategy is a disaster. Well, I've now concluded that there is no strategy. Yeah. I mean, for example, let me give you an example. Today, we all know that there's a severe shortage of police officers. Yes. And uh, and who can blame them? A lot of guys quitting, right. leaving, retiring early. Uh. So what did they announce yesterday? That they are uh, stripping the, they they are like, uh, uh drawing or transferring 200 officers from the central office, central administration, and they're pulling officers from the, from the academy, from the training academy, and they're creating platoons, military term here. Street, yeah. Nothing like using military terms to really antagonize you know, yeah. some of the progressives in the community. Yeah. They're sending in platoons. like They're going to have shifts, like 80-person platoons. Incidentally, it shows you that they have, they have shortages and that they're scraping to get personnel, but I thought we have a shortage. I, don't we need those officers assigned to the training academy to be training people? Yeah. And why aren't we running two classes through the training academies, day classes and night classes, yeah. so we can fill these vacancies? So, so, number one, they haven't filled vacancies. Number two, officers are leaving in record numbers. The detectives division is shrinking again. I mean, we have half the detectives per capita, per capita officers, Half the detectives that they have in L.A. and in New York, you wonder why they can't clear cases. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, I mean we, New York has 6,000 detectives. We have, what, 1,100 now? 
and declining. And, and yeah, they're a bigger city, but they still have like three times the number of detectives that we have. We also have Kim Fox letting everybody out of jail. Oh, well, you know, between not being able to solve these crimes and releasing people and throwing them back into the community, I mean, I don't know what's more of a disaster. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, uh, Loyola did a study, uh, and it was designed to support the, the bail reforms, basically yes. saying the, the, you know, the liberalized, uh, uh, policies towards, uh, you know, uh, releasing of, uh, of individuals who have been arrested. Criminals. Has <laughs> not resulted, has not resulted in a percentage, has not resulted in an increase in the percentage of individuals being released who are committing serious crimes. So th that was the rationale. Yeah. You know what? That may be true, but when you're releasing 30 or 40 or 50 percent more people who have committed serious crimes to the community and you apply that same percentage... You have, more, you have more people committing serious crimes. So the law, the absolute law of nature is if you release more violent people, they're going to commit more violent crimes. Yeah. The percentage of those committing crimes may not go up, but the numbers go up because you have more people on the street. So between that and totally decimating the detectives division, like Emanuel did, where they shrunk the number of detectives, you know, by comparison purposes, we should have 1,800 detectives when you look at New York and L.A., yeah. rather than 12 to 1,300. Under Rahm, it had dropped down to a little over 800. They got it back up to where they were approaching 1,200. Now they're back down to barely 1,000. So they're moving in the right direction, and they're the least experienced detectives oh. division we've ever had because yeah. of the exodus. Yeah. How can you solve crimes yeah. if you don't have people dedicated to uh, investigating these serious offenses. In fact, what they did to the burglary division, the ones who uh, investigate property crime, is they basically transfer them to the street to be part of these like scarecrow patrols where they sit in their cars with the lights flashing because they have a shortage. So who's investigating property crimes? Yeah. And the clearance rate for murders this year is 18.5%. They've only cleared half the same number of murders that they last year. That means that 80-some percent are not cleared. That's right. Oh. And, and when you look at shootings, it's in the single digits. Carjackings, it's in the single digits. Oh. So, you know what? It's, so it's, it's not only the fact that they're releasing people uh, uh, in record numbers uh, who are serious offenders, but it's also the fact that the police department resources are being attrited out through failing to fill vacancies because of the great mass exodus. And and the police resources are being misused. There's just no strategy. It's just, it's just bizarre. It's a tough time to be a cop. It's a very tough time. I know. I have, uh, you know, we've had four cops in the family. Oh, my, really? My two know. sons were cops. My no kidding. One son decided to, uh, uh, you know, he was a vet, and so he took the firefighters uh, exam when he came back from Afghanistan, and four years later they invited him to be a firefighter, so he became yeah, a firefighter. Because yeah. it's hard being a cop. It sure is. My other boy, fortunately, is a cop in San Antonio. Oh, okay. Where they're a little more, I mean, even there they have their challenges, yeah. but, uh, but they're a little more supportive of their police out there, and, and he loves being a cop. My okay. wife was a retired cop, too. Oh, was she really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God bless yeah. her. Yeah. Well, Paul, we're in the middle of an incredible cultural crisis with the police, with crime, with race, all of this stuff. Uh, and, and I'm not saying COVID caused it, but a lot of it sprang up last summer. That's one of the reasons we started doing the show for police and mm -hmm. firefighters. 
You got any take on that? Is there any way out for us? Yeah, you know, there is. I, I actually think there's an easier way out for the city than it is th at the state level. And, you know, I spent considerable time working for the state uh, when I worked for the Illinois State Senate. But I'll tell you, I mean, <laughs> the state and their debt and their long-term pension, unfunded pension obligations, I mean, you know, I've always had perhaps an exaggerated sense of my own abilities, but even I'm baffled by that. But I f still think there's a way out for the city. It's just that, number one, there's no vision. Number two, even if there was a vision, there's no, uh, I mean, just there's no capacity to implement the vision. So let me give you an example. You know, I've always joked that the progressives should be marching with the police because they're both getting screwed, part yeah. of the expression. Yeah. Because it's not a case of do, do we want to fund cops or do we want to fund the communities? You can do both. So f let me give you a couple statistics because you always have people out there in a press conference and every single time there's a spike in violence. You have a group who says you can't arrest yourself out of the problems. I'm sorry, you can't, arrest, you can't partially solve the problem by arresting violent offenders and not returning them to the community. So yes, yeah. off the street. you yeah. can't partially arrest yourself out of the problem while you have to dig in and you have to make the fundamental changes in the community to, to create an environment that is not, that it actually does not, that is not nurturing for, for this type of violence. But the point is you can do both. The police department spending constitutes only seven to eight percent of the total city spending uh, on, on the budget. The city budget is about twelve and a half billion dollars. That's the total city budget. What they spend on cops is $1.7 billion. You do the math. Yeah. So the idea of 40% of the money is going to the... It's not. That's 40% of the corporate fund. The corporate fund is all cops, firefighters, and kind of like these core city services. The actual... in the corporate fund is what? Less than $5 billion. The, uh, the city budget is $12.4 billion, billion. But when you include all the budgets that the city controls, the schools, CHA, CTA, the whole nine yards... What we spend on public safety is 7% of what the city spends. So, you know, taking money from the cops is not, <laughs> is not going to change the no. dynamic in the community. Yeah. So this whole idea is, well, we have to spend less on police and more on the community. You can spend more on the community. Let me just give you an example. The city has gotten 3.8, the city, the city got $3 billion in COVID money. From Trump, yes, oh, Trump, yeah. yep. and from Biden combined, $3 yeah. billion. And $1.8 billion in new money that they haven't spent, of the $1.2 billion, they haven't spent a lot of that money. And then they got $2.5 billion for the schools. Since December, $2.5 billion. The school district that was, like, closed for 12 yeah. months got <laughs> $2.5 billion. So uh, to add up the numbers, three point, you know, three point, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, that's a lot of money. I mean, w when you consider, that's like $5.5 billion that the city has in largely discretionary money. Yeah, I mean, that's like 40% of the city's budget. That's the equivalent to 40% of the city's budget. So, so, because when you combine what the schools have gotten, no, that's one. Number two, the city is diverting a billion dollars in TIF money a year, property tax money a year, to projects. And you know the city, uh, the tax increment financing district, that's yeah. where they skim property tax revenue growth money so they can fund all these developmental projects, yeah. like, like the big um, uh, Lincoln Yards project, the billion-dollar infrastructure oh, yeah. subsidy for developers on the north side. I mean, you don't have to spend all that money. You can, 
you, you know, you can manage the, the financing of those projects so you can generate refunds that you can put into the budget, you know? And then the city has about a $1.7 billion in cash, in TIF cash. In other words, in, in, uh, in TIF money. Uh, uh, some of that money is committed, but, it, but it's basically money that's sitting in a fund. So add it up, $1.7 billion times $1 billion times, let's see, $2.5 billion, that's $4.2 billion, times uh, $3 billion. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, what are you talking about here? I mean, it's, it's $6, 7000000000 billion. The point is the city has the financial flexibility to fund its cops, to put enough cops on the street, to make sure that they the They got the money. That's right. And they have the money to invest in the community. Yes. They have the money, but they just don't. They have the yeah. money to reopen the mental health centers. They have the money to invest in infrastructure in the community, but they don't. You see, so it's, it, it is not a revenue issue. It's, a, it's how you prioritize and how you manage your resources. And it, it's, really, it's really a tragedy. But, the, but, but what happens is the cops bear the brunt. Yes, they do. You know, I mean, the yeah. cops bear the brunt. I mean, when Rahm Emanuel cut the, closed, closed the mental health services, which eliminated the, the remaining barrier between the cops and troubled people in the community, what did, he, what did the city save? $2.2 million? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're funneling a billion dollars in TIF subsidies to, the, to, to Lincoln Yards, and they cut, they closed mental health centers, $2.2 million, Removing the and remaining then they let buffer, those guys out on the street. and then they let them out on the street, and then the cops have to deal with the yeah. with the consequences. So it's just, it's it's a management issue, it's a priority issue, it's a prioritizing issue, and it's just, it, it's a real pity. And 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 my real frustration is the closing of schools for the better oh, part of twelve yeah. months. Crazy. Did you know that eight percent of the murder arrests for murder, and nine percent of the arrests for shootings, and the forty nine percent of the arrests for carjackings have been school-aged kids, kids 17 years and younger. Yeah. And so not only have you seen a dramatic escalation in crime, violent crime among school-aged kids, but last year 83 school-aged children were murdered, 567 were shot. And why? Uh, yeah, schools have been closed for 12 months. Yeah. Doesn't the, the teachers' union bear some responsibility for that? Even this summer, I mean, this summer they didn't open the school. They didn't Teachers have. Teachers' union doesn't want the kids to go back to school. You know, really. Even now they're talking about kids coming back to school masked and social That's distancing, nuts. and they yeah. want provisions in the reopening of schools that allow some some of their teachers, for whatever reasons, to work remotely and things like that. Yeah. I mean, we spend fifty four percent of our money on schools. 20, we get 25% of the state funding for schools, education funding for schools, and 40% of the federal funding that comes to Illinois goes to Chicago Public Schools, and they've been closed for 12 months. Yeah. Teachers got raises, but <laughs> the, fire, the police, officers, the police officers have been waiting for four years. Yeah. So it's just a question of getting our priorities in the right shape. It's not a funding issue. It's, not, it's, a, it's a vision issue. It's a resource management issue. Uh, it's, it's about really doing what's right and not allowing ourselves to be subordinated to the special interests. Now, when you go in and you negotiate this thing and you know the guy, what's his name, Francis? Uh, uh, yeah, 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 Jim Francis, the lead All right, now, you can talk turkey with somebody like that. You know them. Do they see the error of their way? I mean, do they get, the, do they get it? I mean, I'm... You know. Uh, no, no, you know, I, you know, 
I don't get into the broader issues okay. when, I, when we talk to the negotiating team. Suffice to say, I think the city's negotiating team has, has, well, has been excellent. They, uh -huh. I, I enjoyed the negotiating sessions, both in terms of John's leadership as well as Joe Albaugh, their very capable longtime attorney who's been, who's been negotiating police since contracts the FOP, so, yeah, yeah. since Deneen. Okay. You know what I mean? So yeah. he's been doing that for a long time. He's, he's uh, extraordinarily resourceful. And, and the city, very serious people, uh, uh, very flexible, trying to work out a compromise. I think they had a common goal. They wanted to pass a contract that, that, the, uh, that the mayor could support and take to the city council and pass. That, that meant you couldn't deviate uh, uh, broadly from the, the accountability provisions in the, contract, in the sergeant's contract. I mean, you know, you know, the consent decree is what it is, and things like that. That's already been negotiated. That's yeah. right, but but you also needed, but you but you needed to negotiate a contract that was financially fair to the police officers, and I think they accomplished that. And and the fact that they that the contract is an eight-year contract, so now these officers will not only get their retro pay and their well-deserved pay bump, longer overdue pay bump, uh, but they'll also have three and a half years where they're. Salaries will grow up another nine and a half percent, and they won't get, pardon the expression, screwed mm -hmm. on duty availability and things like that. Particularly the younger officers, that's a positive thing. That's going to help. That's going to that's going to make officers feel that they're being appreciated. You know what I mean? They so need to hear that. Yeah. So absolutely, it, it's been you know I, I can characterize as a unpaid observer who has been yeah. immersed in these negotiations that both sides have been uh, very reasonable and very constructive, and it's been a it's been a good experience. Hopefully, uh, the mayor's office and and the uh, and the uh, uh, and the city council will appreciate the fact that this is a very fair, affordable contract, and they should ratify it as quickly as possible. The police need a boost; they need a shot in the arm. We had another tragic police officer commit suicide today, oh, and you know the police, the suicide rates. I did an interview with Jonas Bezito. I co-host her show on Wednesday afternoons. I didn't from, know that. Yeah, from 3 to 5. Not that I'm, plug, I'm yeah. plugging her here. But That's the, WSBC, another on the other station. But they, uh, but uh, uh, what was she telling me? That suicides in Chicago, Chicago police are 60% higher than they are at the national average. Yeah. What does that tell you? That's that tells terrible. you this is, these are high-stress jobs here. And, and, and things are only getting tougher. Oh, on yeah. That. So... Um, when you're, what's the next step? Is that to get, pro, uh, uh, obviously the mayor is going to. Yeah, really the mayor off. has to sign off and then take it to the city council for then ratification. Then she takes it to the city. Yeah. She, so she can veto it right yeah. now? Now, now John, well, she can say, oh, it's unacceptable. Well, I'll tell you, I can't speak for John, but, uh, you know, I, I would suspect that if she makes more demands, he's just going to go to arbitration. Yeah. Because, uh. And who uh, does the arbitrating? Well, they have to agree on an arbitrator. But, uh -huh. but I'll tell you, I mean, based on the negotiations and that have transpired and, of course, my documentation of the negotiations uh, and the fact that inflation seems to be picking up, the White yes, House, of course, is absolutely. hoping that this inflation is short-lived. Gas you know what I mean? costs money, everything Yeah, but money, remember yeah. former Treasury Secretary Summers is saying that it's not going to be. He's been warning about the spike in inflation because of the overheated economy. I think... Uh, uh, you know, there's, uh, I don't think the city will fare better. You know, you know, now, one might argue, well, why don't you just go to arbitration? Well, we don't want to wait another two years to get these oh my God, cops take paid, that long? Yeah. to get the retro money, to get yeah. their boosted yeah. salary, yeah. to bring yeah. some 
predictability and stability to these Does offices. the FOP have to approve this? Yeah, well, they he's got to take it to his members, which okay. is why he had to inform the members about the status of the contract negotiations. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. he's got to get it ratified, yeah. too. He's got to yeah. go sell it to his members. And there's going to be individuals within the FOP that are not going to be satisfied. Sure. He's, got his, he's got his own membership that he has to deal with. Yeah. But, but he has courageously reached an agreement that he's willing to, to courageously take to his members and to try to convince them that this is a fair deal. Because he said, look, number one, this is a deal that, uh, that is good for the members. It's a, it's a deal that brings... Long, t some long-term predictability, eight-year eight contract. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a deal that the city can afford. You know what I mean? And because we've seen contracts negotiated in the past where the city decides to finance the contracts by like not filling vacancies. Yeah. You know we we, we didn't want to we didn't want to negotiate a deal that will force the city to go in and to find savings in the police department's budget to help pay for a collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. If if they if they want to reprogram uh, 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 monies uh, in the police department budget, they should do it towards an eye towards putting more officers on the streets and more detectives in the detective division. Well, you, you had a lot to say about that uh, on your post about the detectives. I know, I know. What, tell me a little <laughs> bit about that. Well, you know, the problem is the significant reduction through attrition, the number of detectives. Yeah. And it was done during McCarthy's era. They went from... Gary you know, McCarthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Rahm Emanuel didn't feel like, I don't know, he eventually, I think, lim eliminated like 1,500 vacancies. Wow. When I became budget director back in the prehistoric days, back in, uh, in fact, Skinny remembers those days. I actually, I, I actually scrutinized Skinny's budget, gave him a hard time. <laughs> you know what I mean? I actually gave them budgets that let, and then let them spend the budgets, yeah. not micromanage your budgets, yeah. you know, because yeah. I had been a... I have been a cabinet member, and I remembered my budget being micromanaged, so I learned. <laughs> Nothing like, you know, so, but, uh, but um, I, I came in, and I noticed there were 1,500 police vacancies, 1,500. Wow. There were like 11,000, was it 300 officers, 11,800 officers, I don't remember. But, so I said, what the blankety blank? And Terry Hilliard at the time was superintendent, a great, twice superintendent of Chicago Police Department. And uh, so, um, you know, I used, I, I filled the vacancies. We, we brought the detectives division to 1,200 or was it 1,300? Wow, yeah. We had 13,500 officers. We used some of the Clinton comp money to help finance. The way it worked is they, they would give you like 50% of the salary of a new officer and within three years you had to absorb that. So I was able to lay out a plan to do that. And, I'll tell you, we, we increased the, the, the manpower. I use manpower in the biblical sense. And we were able to, <laughs> I mean, and you began to see a, a decline in, in violent crime. It was um, community policing became a reality because they actually had beat cops. I mean, now you've got beats. 11th Ward, I remember one night because I've been posting this stuff. Bridgeport. Yeah, yeah I mean, 11th Ward, uh, or uh, 11th, I'm sorry, district. 11th oh. district one night. I, I think somebody told me that was the most violent district, 900 shootings last year or something like that. At we're, Englewood? We're, we're oh. only like five of the 17, there are like 12 uh, beats that weren't even covered. They didn't wow. even have cars covering them. Yeah. Not to mention not having backups yeah. in those beats where you have cars being covered. So, uh, uh, so you know, I just think that, uh, you know, there's a lot that can be done with the proper leadership, you know, I, I think, with the proper vision.
You know, let me ask you a question now. Hopefully this will all go through and it will all be settled and the God, city council so. will approve it and the FOP will approve it. What are you going to do then? <laughs> me? You are like the most amazing wonk I've ever met. <laughs> I'm a wonk. You know, no kidding. Look, when the campaign was over, look, you know, I challenged Rahm Emanuel for mayor because there was nobody out there who was going to challenge them. It was yeah. clear what was going on. They were trying to orchestrate an election where Rahm would not be challenged by yeah. another candidate, say, of, of my credentials, whatever. Uh, and, um, you know, they didn't care if there were multiple African-American candidates in the race. But, but uh, you know, I didn't see Who's any. they? <laughs> well, the, the Rahm, I think the strategy was for him to limit the playing field. And I yeah. think. And, and I think when I entered the primary before Daly and Joyce and, Mac well, McCarthy came in after me and, and Fioretti and <laughs> you name it. You could go through the list. And Chico, of course. Chico. Yeah. You know, I mean, I felt he needed a challenge. And when I entered the yeah. race, I actually ended up in the early polling. I was third, neck and neck with Willie Wilson and then was Ron. But Ron was going to be in a runoff. And in a runoff, I would beat Ron by nine percentage points. And then, of course, Ron got out, and then all the other old guys like oh, me got in the nice. race. Yeah. Chico, yeah. you know, Fioretti, who I like, by the way. I'm a, I'm a good friend of Bob's. Bob and I so have been friends. Yeah. Terrific guy. Uh, uh, you know, and, and then Daly got in the race, and everybody else got in the race. Joyce got in, and then it was like, forget it. Yeah. No country for old men, you know. What I mean? <laughs> Good line. <laughs> <laughs> no city for <laughs> clearly. I mean, the the, the lineup yes. clearly. Yeah. So so uh, because Lightfoot got into the runoff with seventeen percent of the vote or something yeah. like that. Or yeah. so uh, so. But but I. But you never know. See, like people thought, well, she might be good. Right. But she ain't good. She's a disaster. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not, look, I supported her after the election. I said I would not Good support for, yeah. anybody who emerged from the primary who had entered the race after Rom got in. And I oh, said yeah, that yeah. because there were, there were these, you know, they would always ask this question about who would you support? You know, yeah. I, I, when we had our debates, they would always ask the question uh, of the candidates. And they were like, whether, I don't know, skinny, 14 or 17 of us. There are a lot, a lot of lot. us. Yeah. So they would always ask the question, uh, uh, who would you support if you weren't in the runoff? And, you know, people would say, you know, you know, so-and-so, somebody would say, like Daly would say, Lori Lightfoot. Yeah. Gary, Gary said me until I criticized Gary. Uh, <laughs> and then he said uh, Amara or somebody like that. Uh, uh, whatever, they run down. Preckwinkle would say me. Oh. And then they go to me, and I, I turn to Tony, who have been, who I've been friends with Tony for years. I mean, I, we have diff major disagreements on policy issues, but I've always been a friend of hers. And I said, Tony, I appreciate the compliment, but I can't, I can't, ex <laughs> I can't return it. So I would always say, I'm not going to support anybody who what? entered the race after Rahm Emanuel. Uh. And then Willie Wilson would say he was going to change uh, Dr. it. Dr. Willie. Dr. Willie Wilson <laughs> would, would say, I'm going to change my name and vote for myself. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which we all thought was pretty funny. So uh, God bless you. Oh, he's you. quite a struggle. Yeah. I was always at the end of the... the <laughs> Of, of the negotiating, I mean, when, you know, we had the forums, I was always seated next to Willie, and he was so funny, uh -huh. man. He was absolutely so we funny. We got to wrap this up. Okay. Paul, thank, come back. I love let's, it. When the dust settles, come back, and let's talk about it again. Thank you for everything you're doing for the city no, of no, Chicago. No, no, it's my pleasure. You know, what, what I'm trying to do is bring attention to not only the, uh, these important issues, but really to offer substantive solutions. Yeah. And I always say, if you want to shut me up, then, then, Take some of my recommendations to yeah, heart. Sure. 
You see? So thanks so much. God for bless you, me. pal. God thanks bless you. so much for being on the show. Right. We're going to take a little break here on Hibernian Radio. We'll be right back after these messages from our friends. Flood Brothers Disposal was started over 90 years ago by their grandfather. With more than 20 family members still involved with day-to-day operations, the floods are service-oriented and believe that the right way is the only way to do something. Flood Brothers are price competitive and still offer the personal touch in an industry-trending corporate. For client-centric service without all of that corporate garbage, Call Flood Brothers today for a quote on your solid waste recycling and yard waste collection services. Call Bob Flood today at 630-261-0400 or go online at floodbrothersdisposal.com. Welcome back to the Flood Brothers. Hey everybody, this is Charlotte Houlihan. Don't touch that dial. My grandpa will be right back some more Hibernian Radio. He said something about seeing a man about a horse. Sounds like I'm actually going to get that pony after all. Irish American News has been bringing you the news important to the Irish in Chicagoland for over 40 years. If you like mostly good news and information from all aspects of the Irish community, check out Irish American News. To advertise or subscribe, call our friend Cliff Carlson at 847-872-0700 or email him at cliff at irishamericannews.com. Irish American News, we've always been green. And we are back on Hibernian Radio. That was a great interview with Paul. He's he, And he gets even better. And that was in July of 2021. In the next couple of weeks, right before the election, I'll play the terrific one we did about crime from just, I think it was Christmas Eve we did it. Uh, <clears throat> so very excited about his candidacy and what how he can turn around this city. Uh, I want to remind everybody, come on up. Big charity event, Irish Rebel Music Fest. Derek Warfield and the Young Wolf Tones are coming to Gaelic Park Sunday, February 26th from 6 to 10. This is put together by our old pal Kevin O'Shea. It's for the benefit of Danny Golden, a young police officer who was uh, paralyzed uh, in the midst of a skirmish on the streets of the south side. So get out there Saturday, Sunday, February 26th, 6119 West 147th Street in Oak Forest. Uh, tickets are 50 bucks. All goes to benefit uh, the Goldens and to Danny Golden and his family. Also, there's a 50-50 raffle. Cash bar, live bands. You can't beat it. So maybe I'll see you there. And also, our friend uh, Becky Taz uh, has sent me a note. and She said, I'm reaching out on behalf of St. Mary's of the Angels Young Adult Group in Bucktown. Our group's mission is to invite young adults in their 20s and 30s to discover the truth, beauty, and goodness of the Catholic Church through social events and spiritual formation. Well, good for you, Becky. And for the first time, St. Mary the Angels Young Adult Group will be partnering with the Anthenaeum Center, which is a gorgeous theater over in uh, Lincoln Park, to host Irish festival headliners to perform and speak on their Catholic faith. The band will be hosting is Scythian, a terrific group, a group that exemplifies the joys of living out their Catholic faith while navigating the challenges of the music industry. You can find a sample of their tunes online. Also, the Great Whiskey Project, our friend John Shine, uh, a local Irish band who also share in the Catholic faith. They're great guys, and it's a, we've had them on our show many times. They're going to be opening for Scythian. So you want to get over there on Sunday, March 5th at 6 p.m. at the Athenaeum Theater. I'm sure you can find tickets online. Thanks to our friend Becky Taz. And I want to remind everybody also... We're moving. 
the show to a Big Corner Tavern over in North Riverside at the corner of Surmac and Surmac and what? First Avenue. Um, should be a great time. I was over there last night scoping it out. And so we're going to go back to live performances, and it'll be a little more crazy. We'll get some more cops from that area, and we'll put some music on there, and we'll maybe even do a raffle, so you got to join us. We're starting Wednesday, March 1st, so join us that night. We'll kick it off at uh, 8405 West Cermak Road. Yeah, 8405 West Cermak Road on Wednesday, March 1st at 7 p.m. Now! You know, Billy, whenever I'm walking down Western Avenue, I look in the window of Ken's wrongs, hearts are into those great Irish saloons. I see the ghost of my old pal Jimmy Goff through the mist, and he says to me, Hey, Wooly, who died? <laughs> okay, Mary Hughes, Nee Keneally, a native of County Galway, Ireland, beloved wife of the late John and loving mother of Sean. God rest her soul, Mary Hughes. Uh, Lorraine H. Hollis, 96 of Elmhurst, Beloved wife of the late Charles E. Hollis, loving mother of Charles Hollis and Daniel Hollis. God rest her lovely soul, Lorraine H. Hollis, 96. What a run. Uh, William Mateja, Bill Mateja, beloved husband of Diane, the loving father of Michael, Rose, and Natalie, dear brother of brother Adam, Margaret, uh, and Teresa. Uh, This is another one PJ gave me. You're going to wear the jacket for this, PJ. Anyway, here's why Margaret or William Matea's obit is in here. Because in lieu of flowers, they're encouraging donations to Misericordia, Heart of Mercy. Uh, he must be one of the good ones, as PJ would say. One of the good ones. So God rest his soul, Bill Mateja. Philomena Duty, knee cannon of 98, of Naples, Florida, native of Kilchamar, County Mayo, Ireland, devoted wife of the late Ed, Edward Beloved mother of Patricia, Joan, and Maureen. God rest her lovely soul, Philomena Duty. Dan Casey. God rest his soul, 67. Oh, too young. Uh, beloved husband of Jill Casey, who he married in 1981. His lover and father of Colleen. Devoted son of the late Mike and Sarah Casey. Dear brother of Maureen, Sheila, Christine, Kevin, David, Patricia, and Margaret. Dan started in business at eight years old, washing dishes at Ginger's Meat Market in Clarendon Hills. When his father, Mike Casey, opened Mike's Meat Market in Villa Park in 1969, Dan began working there. In 1980, he helped expand the business to include Casey's Market in Western Springs and subsequently opened Casey's Foods in Naperville. The celebration of Dan's life, that, well, this is great. They, we missed the wake and everything, but they had an open house at Naperville Country Club from 2.30 to 8.30. Whoa, that's a heavy bill. God bless his lovely soul, Dan Casey. Bill Curry, age 89, uh, Air Force, Korean War Air Force veteran, beloved husband of Judy, loving father of Greg and Sarah, donations to the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill. God rest his soul, Bill Curry, 89. And finally, Harry Kanowski. Harry was the former Niles Fire Chief, 85, beloved husband of the late Arlene, loving father of Beverly, Harry Jr., Harry III, and Deborah. Uh, He was a proud member of the Niles Lions Club. He's also a founder of the R.E.D. Center in Nipsta. I have no idea what that is, Nipsta. Uh, What a great guy. He was a fire chief there in uh, Niles for many years. God rest his lovely soul. Harry Kanowski. 
and let's close up the crypt and take a break. Maybe go to Hooli Town for a visit. We'll be right back after these messages from our friends. With a history going all the way back to 1896, the International Union of Operating Engineers has continued to protect workers and their families with loyalty and brotherhood. Local 150 has continued to thrive through economic booms and busts with careful training and aggressive organizing. Under the leadership of President and Business Manager Jim Sweeney, Local 150 has implemented programs and action plans to create work, protect benefits, and keep members working. And they've been helping the Irish-American community of Chicagoland for just as long. The Hibernian Radio Show is proud to be associated with Jim Sweeney and Local 150, and we salute the continuing efforts of the International Union of Operating Engineers and their support of Irish and Irish-American families now and in the future. Thanks to Local 150. One hundred and ten years ago, Roger Sheehy started his family business with his sons. Sheehy's have handled a lot of Southside Irish families since then, mine included. When my late brother Willie died, my brother Danny and I went out to meet with Bob Sheehy to discuss the wake and funeral. Bob and Jimmy Sheehy are quite simply the best. But there's something else about the Sheehy's. Willie was a bachelor. He died alone. The nurses at Northwestern gave me his belongings when I went to pick up his stuff after his death. They gave me his wallet, clothes, and some cash that was on him when he died. As Danny and I discussed what suit to bury Willie in, I handed the cash, 88 bucks, to Bob Sheehy, and I said, put this in his pocket before the wake. Danny looked at me funny, and I said, just some walking around money in case he needs it wherever he's going. But Bob Sheehy said, of course. He knew I was grieving in my own way for probably my favorite brother. I'll never forget that. Sure, the Sheehys were great through the whole thing, and as I did Willie's eulogy at Christ the King, I saw Bob standing in the back of the church, laughing along with the rest of our family as I told some Willie tales out of school. I will never forget that. And when I die, I know my old friends Bob and Jimmy Sheehy will be keeping an eye out for me and my family. They are the best in the business. The Sheehys have been helping Irish families on the South Side for a long, long time, just like their father and grandfather before them, Sheehy. Where all the right people go. Irish American News has been bringing you the news important to the Irish in Chicagoland for over 40 years. If you like mostly good news and information from all aspects of the Irish community, check out Irish American News. To advertise or subscribe, call our friend Cliff Carlson at 847 872 0700 or email him at cliff at irishamericannews.com Irish American News we've always been green Hey folks Charlotte Houlihan here Did you know that Hibernian Radio is now streaming worldwide on Global Irish Radio every Saturday night at 7pm or 1am in Ireland Yes the Irish are always way ahead of us Check it out at globalirishradio.com or capital G-I-R dot I-E Southsiders have always known where to get the best pizza on earth, Fox's Pizza. For over a half century, the Fox family has been creating that delicious thin crust za that your mouth will tell you, this can only be Fox's. 
It's the Chicago Beverly Institution at 99th and Western, as well as in Orland Park, where they combine delicious food with an Irish pub ambiance. You got the best of both worlds. Still owned by Tom and Frank Fox, whose mom and dad, Frank and Teresa, bought the Western location from Al Capone's sister back in 1964. They opened the doors in Orland at 73 at 143rd and Ravinia Avenue. You'll recognize the stone turrets of their Irish castle, whose great times have been celebrated for generations of Chicagoland Irish. Fox's is perfect for the whole family, pickup or delivery, or you can dine in, relax and have a cocktail with your dinner, whether it's steak, ribs, chicken, or especially pizza, it's all good. Having a party? Fox's also does catering. Call Fox's in Beverly at 773-239-3212 or in Orland Park at 708-349-2111. They're proud sponsors of Hibernian Radio and all Irish first responders. Mention this show for a free toothpick. Gotta love that Fox's Pizza. Flood Brothers Disposal was started over 90 years ago by their grandfather. With more than 20 family members still involved with day-to-day operations, the floods are service-oriented and believe that the right way is the only way to do something. Flood Brothers are price competitive and still offer the personal touch in an industry-trending corporate. For client-centric service without all of that corporate garbage, Call Flood Brothers today for a quote on your solid waste, recycling, and yard waste collection services. Call Bob Flood today at 630-261-0400 or go online at floodbrothersdisposal.com. Welcome back to the Flood Brothers. And we are back on Hibernian Radio. And I think it's time to take a trip to Hooletown. Deep, deep in the south side of Chicago. Get me out of here. So deep, deep. All the way up to 93rd Street. Get me out of here, please. Across the tracks where they only spoke yakky dot. Oh. And the people barely survived on a strict diet of crunchy bunks and bamboo. Hey, man, you want another drink? Yes. Can I get you two? Yeah. This is almost 70 years we're talking. 70 years? What? Oh. Something entered his cranium. His cranium? And wormed around his frontal lobes oh. and took him to a state of mind. Mind, yes. mind, mind. Didn't place on the other side of bunkers. Welcome. <laughs> Crazy, silly, screwy. Have a seat. <laughs> Known as... Hooletown. Welcome to Hooletown. Don't stay too long, though. How come? Because you might not come back. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Hooletown. Why, thank you. And you're welcome. A frog goes into a bank and he approaches the teller. He can see from her nameplate that her name is Patty Wack. Miss Wack, I'd like to get a $30,000 loan to take a holiday. Patty looks at the frog in disbelief and says, what's your name? The frog says his name is Kermit Jagger. His dad is Mick Jagger, and it's okay. He knows the bank manager. Patty explains, well, we need to secure the loan with some collaterals. The frog said, sure, I have this. And he produces a tiny porcelain elephant about an inch tall, bright pink, and perfectly formed. Very confused, Patty explains that she'll have to consult with the bank manager and disappears into a back office. She finds the manager and says, hey, there's a frog called Kermit Jagger out there who claims to know you. He wants to borrow 30 grand. He wants to use this as collateral. And she holds up the tiny pink elephant. I mean, what in the world is this? The bank manager looks back at her and says, it's a knickknack, Pettywack. (laughs) 
Get the frog alone. His old man's a rolling stone. Okay. ba bum Thank you, Billy. And one more. Patty's talking to Milk Mick, and he says, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of buying myself a, a, one of those Labrador dogs. And Mick says, are you crazy? Have you seen how many of their owners go blind? ba dum bum Thanks so much for listening. Getting closer to March 1st. We want to see you all out there at Big Corner Tavern, 8405 West Cermak at Cermak and First Avenue, our new home. We're going to have a blast there starting uh, March 1st, Wednesday, March 1st. In the meantime, stand by and hope to see you soon. God bless you all. We'll see you later. Bye. Down the road and I wonder. 